Wonderful. So good. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be there in just a second. And as the, uh, as the worship team sort themselves out and the youth leave, let me just uh, ask you and remind you, I guess, uh, to encourage you that this, this church, this expression of Willow Park Church and the mission here uh, really functions so heavily and relies so heavily, I should say, on uh, the countless hours of volunteers and people who give time and energy uh, to make what you see happen. And uh, sometimes, you know, we have little things that go wrong here and there. And, uh, but uh, on the most part, I'm so grateful for, um, for the way that everything just runs so smoothly. And that's because of the volunteers that we have. But we are in need of a couple of areas in the church where we need your help. The first place, uh, we desperately need ushers because uh, quite a few of our usher team, our welcome team, uh, are a little bit of snowbirds going on. So they disappear when the snow comes and they come back tanned in the spring. Um, So uh, Dala would love some more people to join her team. uh, And it's a great way to get to know people and, uh, and it's really, really simple. You just stand there and be welcoming and lovely, and so many of you already are. So if you'd like to join the welcome team, please make yourself known to Dala. Where is, is Dala in the where, She's right there, and I'm sure she will be obvious afterwards as well. And we're always looking for people to help with media and sound and uh, various different areas. So if there's something you'd like to volunteer in, please let the connection desk know, and we can take a note of your name, and uh, we will be in touch. So uh, thanks again for all the people who do regularly give time and energy. We do appreciate you. Um, We're starting today a new series called Teachers to Pray, and it's based on uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, There have been many sermons preached, many books uh, written, uh, many studies based upon this beautiful prayer that we find twice in the New Testament. And we're going to get to one of the accounts of the Lord's Prayer in just a minute, which is in Matthew chapter 6. As I'm preparing this, there are quite a few resources that I draw upon, and Sarah's encouraged me to actually email this week and give you a a reading list of some of the the resources and commentaries that I have used to to get uh, information and encouragement from people who have gone before me, up to a thousand years before me, and written beautifully about this topic. But the one thing that really does come very clear when you come to the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' intention as to why he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Our world desperately needs a a radical intervention. It needs something different. It needs, even if you look on a very micro level, just your street, your neighborhood, your community, we need something radical to happen to align us with what we all know as humans that there is a better way. There is, there is something fresh. There's something better than what we are experiencing, whether it be in our own personal lives or in as we look at the news and we look at what's going on in our city. We, we believe that there needs to be a radical change a radical intervention, but praise God, this revolutionary plan was put into place by God through His Son Jesus, and we've just celebrated His first advent at Christmas, that Jesus is the fulcrum of this incredible revolutionary plan that God has put into place in order to bring an intervention, to bring a change, to bring transformation. 
And then he says this, he says, look, this is not just something for him to do, but he wants to work through us so we can be part of this radical revolution. He calls his first disciples and he calls us to follow him, to join Jesus on this revolutionary change. Christianity is nothing if it is not transformational. It's just a religion. It's just a set of beliefs. It, uh, at, at worst, it could be just a set of laws that we follow. But Christianity is so much more. Jesus came into the world to bring transformation, lived a revolutionary life, epitomized radical revolution. And then he says, come join me in this. That This is not something that we just rely on Jesus to do. He says, come with me. Come follow me. And when Jesus said this in the New Testament, it literally meant enroll in my school. Come watch me, be alongside me, walk with me, observe, ask questions, enroll in my school. We use the word discipleship very quickly in Christianity, but discipleship means a lot of things, but essentially it means that we enroll in a a master's school. That the discipler is the one who initiates some, uh, some things that we can then follow by example. So we need to be careful as an aside when we want to disciple somebody. We want to make sure that in some way we are, and forgive me for putting it this way, worth being uh, followed. That we're actually just going to reproduce whatever we are in Christ in someone else. And so Jesus came and he said, come follow me. And that same encouragement resonates through the scripture, has, has, trans, has transferred across a couple of thousand years of church, and is very much alive and very much real in our lives. Come follow me, Jesus says, in this revolutionary uh, intervention, this change, this transformation. So when we take Jesus at his word, and we actually seriously study the Bible... And we sincerely seek to see his word come into play in our lives. And we pray and we seek connection and intimacy with him. Things change. Transformation comes. Revolution happens. You only need to do a brief glimpse through the history of church. And you will see time and time again that God transforms lives, transforms society. Does so sometimes despite his church, but often through his church, most of the time through his church. And I look out today, and I, and I, and I know so many of you uh, well, and I know that your story is a transformation story. That the old is gone, the new has come, that that which you were is no more, that Jesus impacted your life, slammed into your soul, changed you forever, and put you on a completely different trajectory. That's the good news of the gospel. It's transformation. And when you take Jesus at his word, you too can have that transformation. Not just an activity that you add on to what you already do in life, but a radical new way of living. A new way of of showing love to people and being part of this community. And so as I preach this, I know as I share this with Christians and brothers and sisters in the faith, that I know that there's something resonates inside of you. That we know deep down inside that we are called to something greater than what is just visible. I prayed this morning that that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would understand the calling, the hope that we've been given. So we have this sense of more, that we have this sense that that we can get caught up with the day-to-day, but there is something more to this calling. We instinctively know that we have been called. 
But most of the time, often, we're unsure of what our next step is. How do we actually join in with Jesus and see transformation in our society? And because we're a task-oriented culture, we like lists. The internet is filled with top 10 ways to fill in the gap. And we like the lists. We, we start filling in the gaps. Well, in order to see our community transformed, we need to do this or we need to do that. And maybe it's better leadership or better worship or at least worship the way I like it. Uh, and, you know, the, we need to do this, we need to do that. And yet, it seems to be contrary to what actually the Scripture emphasizes as priority. I preached a few weeks ago about how we put our preferences as priority, and yet God's priority seems to contradict our priorities sometimes. That we assess and rate things that are going on around us, while God is saying, look, it's actually really simple how you join in with me in this revolutionary change. And so in Matthew chapter 6, what you're actually seeing in the Sermon of the Mount is one of the most revolutionary sermons in history that has ever been recorded. You have Jesus standing and he's declaring what this upside down kingdom, as many authors have called it, looks like. What does this transformed society look like? And he goes through and it's an incredible read and I encourage you to start in chapter 5 to work through the Sermon on the Mount and, and imagine what would society look like if we actually lived out this transformation, this radical intervention, what would it look like? And so right in the middle of this sermon, literally right in the middle of this sermon, we have these incredible words that we call the Lord's Prayer. In fact, in my Bible, it's actually, uh, there's a subsection called the Lord's Prayer. People have called it the greatest gift. But Jesus gives to us this, this prayer that for many of us, how many of you, just by show of hands, how many of you used to pray this prayer in school? Look at that. Just have a quick look around. Isn't that beautiful? As a teacher, uh, for many years, even with high school students, at the end of the day, I'd get them to stand up, their favorite part of the day, right, at the end of the day, they'd put their chairs on the desks, and we'd stand there, and I'd say, okay, close your eyes, bow your heads, let's say the Lord's Prayer together, our Father, and then they'd all say it back. These are like, this is, this is state school kids, uh, sorry, public school kids. Public school in Britain gets a bit complicated. State schools are public schools. Public schools in Britain are really high-end independent private schools. So I was very confused when I got here. So state school kids bowing their heads, praying the Lord's Prayer. Some say, and I have no research or proof for this, some say they believe that our society and our youthful generation actually started to decline the minute that the Lord's Prayer was taken out of the public schools. And that would be an interesting thing to actually track. I don't know. I haven't got sure proof for that, obviously. And I know in Britain that in many schools it's still said the Lord's Prayer. They bow their heads and close their eyes and say the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. So over the next few weeks, we're actually going to dissect this Lord's Prayer. We're going to take it sometimes word by word. And we're going to enjoy and we're going to bathe in the beauty of it. We're just going to let it uh, saturate our minds. It's going to be very practical. It's actually, I'm believing, it will revolutionize your prayer life. It will give you a way that prayer becomes tangibly possible. But today, what we're going to look at is, is three points. I've got three points to give us introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Number one, we've got the core of the revolution. Number two, the challenge of the revolution. And number three, the commander of the revolution. Now, I just need to pause. I have hit sermonizing preaching jackpot three points three c's 
three R's. Now, if that doesn't deserve some sort of t-shirt, beat that, Tim Keller. I tell you that, that I was just like, this has come together. But then my son deflated me somewhat by pointing out that the three R's were actually the same word. So uh, thank you, Luke. appreciate that. But that's where we're going this morning. The core, the challenge, and the commander of the revolution. Number one, the core of the revolution. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's just pause. How many of you, just by show of hands, are already going old King James Version? I guess it was our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because that's the way Jesus said it. Uh, number, number t- uh, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer. As we read it, it's so beautifully familiar and yet so profoundly um, it, it's, it's profound and, it's, and simple all at the same time. It's this incredible, incredible statement by Jesus. And here lies the answer in how we join in with this revolution. How do we actually take that step to follow him and see transformation in our society? And it supersedes any other practical methodology that we can bring into the church. Prayer is Jesus' number one answer, nestled in the middle of this transformational sermon on how we, as ordinary but incredibly gifted and anointed Christians, can join in with this transformation. In us, in others, and around the world. It covers every human need, every human fear, Every human challenge is covered, nestled in the middle of this incredible prayer. And right in the center are these words, on earth as it is in heaven. That is the ultimate desire. Everything else is packaged around that statement. On earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. Every need, every want, every fear, every challenge is covered by the Lord's prayer. So here's my prayer. Here's my desire for you as you listen. First of all, I pray that you would, you would come each week and, and hear each message because we're going to take a statement each week. Secondly, I pray you'll bring your Bible. Thirdly, I pray you'll bring your journal because there is going to be a lot of meat in these sermons that then you will be able to take home and apply to your prayer life. My hope is is that on the Monday morning or even on Sunday afternoon, you'll go home and hear and listen and maybe look at your notes and go, right, I'm actually going to pray this into my life personally, into the lives of my neighbors, into the lives of my city, country, and world. It is that practical. So then we imagine that these disciples have heard these words of Jesus and then time goes on. A little while later, after observing Jesus now for a period of time, seeing his miracles, seeing his life, seeing the revolution actually happening around him, the disciples, we're told in Luke chapter 11, ask this incredible question. They say this, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. Now we can often with scripture, we can read scripture very quickly But literally, every sentence, every verse is worth a pause over. So what I ask when I looked at this, and and, and, and I'm sure maybe many of you have, is, is this question. Imagine you're one of the disciples. 
Imagine you have followed Jesus now for a period of time and you have witnessed the power evidenced by his life, his miracles, his words, walking on water, talking about a kingdom coming, his peace, his contentment. All these things evidenced as he's just walking through life and you get to ask him one question. What would that question be? You see, for the disciples, it wasn't. And I started thinking, I wonder what questions would be kind of cool to ask Jesus. And one day, I am going to ask him, and maybe I'll get to watch the heavenly DVD or whatever it gets to look like. We get to see what it was like for Jesus to walk on this earth. But, you know, it's not, okay, Lord, really, this is really quite important to help me get through life. Uh, how How do you turn water into wine? Because that would be useful. How do you walk on water? Because that would be really cool in Kelowna. Wine in hand, walking across the lake. How how, how do you do that? And Lord, one final question. Uh, How do you find coins in a fish's mouth? Because while I'm walking across the lake, wine in hand, I might see a fish. And you know what? I might be a bit skint and I want some money. See, these are the kind of questions that would rattle around my mind. You can pray for me. But what was his question? What was their question? Teach us to pray. Out of all the questions, why ask this question? And quite simply, it's because they saw a link between Jesus' prayer life and his life. They saw a link between prayer and how Jesus approached prayer and his revolutionary, transformational invasion, turning the world upside down for the kingdom of God. They saw a link. They noticed him withdraw. They noticed him withdraw regularly. They noticed him, how, no regardless of how tired he was after a day of ministry, he would withdraw by himself to spend time in prayer with his father. They would notice that. Where's Jesus? He's praying. All oh, right, okay. How long has he been there? A long time. They noticed him pray long. They noticed him pray regularly. They noticed him spending time with his father. They witnessed his passion and his fervor towards prayer. See, Jesus spent a whole night in prayer before he called his disciples. And I I spent some time journaling on this this week. And I asked the question, I often do this when I approach the Bible, why? This is Jesus, fully man, fully God. Why does he need to spend so long praying about who his disciples were? Surely, with his obviously on display depth of knowledge and understanding of the will of God, surely it would be, hey God, who do you want um, as some of your disciples? Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and he would, why, why spend the whole night? You, you get what I mean? And then it occurred to me, Jesus didn't need to spend time in prayer He wanted to spend time in prayer because it was his opportunity to connect with his father. It was his opportunity, as I've already prayed today, that he would get intimate with his father, that the enjoyment of being with his father, that's why he withdrew. And then we have times in the scripture where we see him literally sweating drops of blood in earnest prayer before he went to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed in preparation for the ultimate change he was about to catalyst. Bringing life through his death, that as he hung on the cross, and the cross will be appearing after our wonderful South Art Project team and Maureen kind of remove the the trees and the sparkly things that we all love. But the cross in the corner, 
As Jesus hung on that cross, carrying the full weight of the sin of those who believe in Him. The cosmic weight of all the sin before Jesus and those who had faith in God and all those who believe in Him after Jesus. All that weight would be placed upon Jesus, taking the punishment that you and I truly deserve for the joy set before Him, the joy of knowing that those would follow Him would be, have transformed lives. He faced this in earnest prayer, knowing that it was going to be by far the most awful thing that He'd ever have to face. And then He said, Yet not my will, but Your will, Lord. Whatever Your will is. And He prayed and He prayed a transformational event that would follow. Above all else, the way we join in with Jesus' revolutionary plan is to pray. Above all else, there's nothing else that we can do that is more important. It's not sending our kids to youth. It's not Bible reading. All these things are good. It's not church attendance. It's not community group attendance. It's not going on mission. It's even not sharing the word, the witness, and the good news with your friend, family member, or co-worker. All those things are good and godly and many of them we've been commanded to do. The way that we join in with this revolutionary plan is to pray. Jesus said that our house, this church, should be a house of prayer. And so friends, let me say this carefully but firmly and lovingly. If we are not praying, we are not doing anything. Prayer is the ultimate ultimate way that we join in with this revolutionary plan called the good news that God initiated. That's the way. The disciples saw Jesus' revolutionary life and drew a link. And they said, I want that. How do I get that? How do I get that peace, that contentment, that firm sense of calling, those miracles the power, the love of God, the kingdom come. How, how do I get that in my life? How do, I, how do I have seek first the kingdom of God as my actual aim in my life? How does that happen? Is it through Bible reading or, or, or a CD of the month or, or all these kind of things? Those are all good things, but they knew that they saw the link, that the way that that was actually going to happen in their life was by praying. And then they stumbled Lord, teach us to pray because we don't know how. We want that. And, and we've seen a difference in John's life too. John taught his disciples, teach me, teach us to pray. That was their big question. And the challenge of the revolution, the challenge of the revolution, the core of the revolution is prayer. The challenge of the revolution is this, is that prayer in all its simplicity is also the very hardest thing that we are called to do. The consistency, the dedication, the distractions that come, all the different things that invade in our lives take away this highest calling to pray. So let me, let me give you a little uh, experiment. We don't do this very often. This is where uh, we get some uh, crowd participation. Say, so buckle up. I'm going to give you four words. And, uh, and when I say a word, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you. Don't panic because, you know, I'm sure you know them pretty well. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been sat next to them. If you are new, then... then um, 
Let's join in. It'll be fun. You, you, may, you, know, you may not come back next week, but it'll be good. It'll be great. I'm going to give you a word. And what I want you to do is the first word that comes to mind is I want you to say that to the person next to you. Okay? Um, you might need to pause. <laughs> but all these words are very innocent, so there shouldn't be any problems or any need for extra prayer at the end after the revelations you're about to give to your neighbor. Okay, first word, summer. Oh, come on, guys. Did you say it? Okay, good. Summer. Second word. Cake. <laughs> okay, third word. This one. This wasn't what this one is going to, I know certainly from this corner and certainly the front row. Chocolate. Oh. The first word that comes to your mouth to share with your neighbor is, oh. Okay, fourth and final word, prayer. Notice something. Did you notice the energy was up for summer, for cake, and for definite chocolate? And then the energy dropped when I said prayer. There was the... Some of the words, Sarah and I were discussing this in the car this week. What word came to your mind that you said hard? I said challenging. It's like emotion drops, the energy goes down. And when we think about prayer, oftentimes in our own quiet time, when we think about, and we know, let me just say this, we instinctively know, I believe, that the highest calling that we have as Christians is to pray. I think we instinctively know that. I think that's just embedded in us by the Holy Spirit. We know that there's an importance and a weight to prayer. So when I say we're going to study prayer, let's be honest, there's probably a sense of, oh gosh, maybe a sense of shame, frustration, guilt. I haven't got time. I've tried it before. I started off really well and then it kind of petered off. Life caved in. Things took over. Maybe you can think of a time in your life when prayer was just seemed to be such a central thing and now you look back at that with fondness but it's not part of your everyday. That's what prayer, when we talk about prayer, happens in the church and that makes my heart ache. And I have to say, I resonate with all those things. It makes my heart ache because when I see the power and the revolutionary, transformational change that can happen through prayer, how we can walk aligned, resonating with Jesus himself, that it's sad that we come to prayer often with a heavy heart. And I think the disciples probably felt the same. Teach us, Lord, how to pray. See, prayer is both mysterious and hard in equal measure. Even those that have made the long journey into incredible, serious prayer, they'll come back and they'll tell us that it's very hard work and and often there's little or, or no immediate reward. Yet they'll also come back and they will say that they will, they will share some incredible experiences. They'll talk about mounting up like wings on eels and change from glory to glory. There's a, a shining in their face just like Moses. So even though there's this frustration and hardship to prayer, there's this mystery. Yet it's this most glorious and beautiful and incredible thing that we can do in our lives that does bear fruit. And sometimes we will pray for the same thing for years with what seems to be no apparent answer. And yet there is change often in us first. 
Martin Luther, one of the writers and uh, people in church history that I have huge respect for, he had an incredible prayer life. He was known to spend at least two hours in prayer every day. Every day. He'd get up very early and he would pray for at least two hours every day. And he was asked by his barber. His barber was actually had a very close relationship with his barber. And, uh, and if you'd seen Martin Luther's hair, you'd understand why. Because getting that perfect circle on the top was very difficult. Um, his barber asked him about his prayer life. He said, you see, he saw the books that were being written, the sermons that he preached, the traveling that he did, all this incredible busyness, this apostolic calling that was clearly upon his life. These, he was being pulled to and fro, death threats on his life, all this incredible busyness. I think as you look at the magnitude of his ministry, I think it would be fair to say there would be very few people who were as busy as Martin Luther. And he said this, he said, well, the bit, and I paraphrase, as I got busier, I had to adjust my prayer life. He said, as I got busier and I had to do all these different things, I had to adjust my prayer life. I had to pray more and more and more. He said, because of the necessity of prayer, because of those things that he was being called to do. And I think of that and I go, Lord, teach me to pray. So the core of the revolution is prayer. The challenge of the revolution is prayer. And thirdly, the commander of the revolution, Jesus himself. Jesus was uniquely qualified to share the answers with his disciples. He was uniquely qualified to answer this question, teach us to pray. Because Jesus was the son of Mary, which made him a fully human He was also the Son of God, which made him completely divine. And so he literally has a hand in in each incredibly opposite spheres. Humanity, divinity. And so what we see in this prayer is actually Jesus bringing what he knew and experienced as being a human. The Bible says that there is nothing that we go through that Jesus didn't feel or experience himself. He understood what it was like, all the challenges and the issues, the temptations, the hardships, the joys, the rejoicing, or the distractions. He understood what it was like to be fully human. But he also understood the passions and the heart and the mind of God himself. He understood the heartbeat of the Father. He spent much time with the heartbeat of the Father. He also was fully divine. And so in the Lord's Prayer, what we have, and this is what we're going to study intricately over the next few weeks, is the bringing together of these two revelations. Fully man, fully God, and it's given to us in this prayer. You see, he knows God's will, and he communicates what's on God's heart through this prayer. It brings two revelations together, our needs, the Father's heart, and as we examine this in great, de- in great detail over the next few weeks, and trust me, this sermon, this, this series, this passage of Scripture has had rigorous debate and research over it, and I am not claiming by any means to bring fresh revelation to this other than the application of what it means to us in our situation. But what I'm very aware of is this prayer is mo- so much more than just um, a, a hugely uh, simple set of words that we say in school. This is practical, helpful, revolutionary 
impactful transformation that we can see in our lives. And in verse 9 of chapter Matthew uh, 6 and verse 9, it says these four words, and they're very, very important for us to take note of. It says this, pray in answer to the question, pray then like this. Two different times in the Bible, Matthew and Luke. So he said it in Matthew, and then he's lived some of ministry, and then there's, and in Luke we hear the question again, and he says the Lord's Prayer again. He says, pray then like this. Notice it says, like this. It doesn't say you should pray this. It says, pray like this. This is how you should pray. It's a framework, if you like, on which hangs this revolutionary change. One of the time-honored ways that people have approached this prayer, and I like the idea of this, and I would encourage you to think about it because it is so beautifully simple, is for each day is to take an aspect of the Lord's Prayer and pray through that. So, for example, on Sundays it could be Our Father. On Mondays it could be Hallowed Be Your Name. Tuesdays, Your Kingdom Come. Wednesday, Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. Thursday, Forgive Us. Friday, Deliver Us From Evil. Saturday, The Kingdom, The Power, and The Glory. And then back to Sunday. You can pray Our Father on a Sunday for yourself for your family, for your friends, for your city, for your country. And next week, we're going to examine what it actually means to pray our Father who is in heaven. How does that actually apply to us in our prayer life? It's a framework, a simple way to actually connect with God and His transformation. And as I draw this to a conclusion, and I know that I have skimmed across this, this idea of teaching us to pray, why should we pray I want to point out just a statement in the middle of the prayer that I, that I read earlier on, and it's this, on earth as it is in heaven. It's literally right in the middle of the prayer, 57 words in total in the Greek and, uh, or in the Aramaic, and then on this statement, on earth as it is in heaven, hangs the rest of the prayer. If you really want to kind of, kind of uh, nerd out, if you like, in your theology, you'll find that there's actually a symmetry to the prayer as well. It's incredible. But this statement, on earth as it is in heaven, ultimately summarizes what our prayer should be. That our prayer should be that in our day-to-day, that heaven would be present. That everything that heaven is, the kingdom that God rules, that He is on the throne. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. That He is on the throne. Because the reality is, is we think, and please listen to this, we think we understand ourselves. We think we understand our desires, our longings, our fears. Sometimes we even think that we know the answer. And oftentimes we don't. But I am so thankful that our Father does. He knows intimately every aspect, every experience Every lens that you look through, every filter that you hear things through, every hurt, every abuse, every time of celebration, every wrongful look, every encouraging word that you've given. He knows you in your complete wholeness. Not only that, he knows you from your beginning to the end. And the Bible actually says before your beginning, he formed your substance, the way you looked, and he framed the way you thought in your mother's womb. He knows you so intimately, and he is sat on the throne, and you can pray, God, our Father, 
on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, your kingdom be shown in my life. I want your knowledge, your understanding to be shown. He knows what we need. And so Jesus pulls the need of humanity in and aligns it with God's passion and heart. And he says, pray like this. What an incredible thing. And the more I've studied this, the more I've realized that this is truly a precious gem that I think oftentimes we step over. Not that we dismiss it, but we think other things are more important. And the longer we actually examine this gem, the more incredible it gets. I liken it to a grandfather clock that I I don't actually have. I know the Bennett's have got a grandfather clock. I was looking at it the other day. It made me think of it. And... uh, there's just something incredible about a grandfather clock. It kind of clunks its way sometimes. It's simple. It is what it is. It tells the time. And you can enjoy the grandfather clock for what it is. It simply tells the time. But, as was my want when I was a child, I actually did this with a clock, a carriage clock that my mom and dad had on their mantle. I decided that I wanted to see how this thing worked. And I would often take things apart as a young little lad, maybe 10 or 11, and quickly find out that I wasn't able to put things back together nearly as quickly or as efficiently as I could take it apart. And I took this carriage clock apart, and I was intrigued by the, by the mechanism, by the cogs and the gears that were synchronized and, 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 and intertwined, and it was so beautiful. And I, was guess, I would guess if, if Pete and Tracy would graciously allow me to take apart their grandfather clock with a hammer, I would find inside, even though on the outset, this beautiful, simple, grand, incredible, old, perhaps, ancient thing that maybe we just walk past and don't take much notice of. You take that apart, you'll find an intricacy and a beauty inside that actually makes the simplicity even more profound. You'll find things that have been put together by a craftsman, beautifully, delicately thought over, measured and that's what the lord's prayer is like on its outset it's just this it is what it is it's simple you can say the lord's prayer in a few seconds and it be powerful and impactful but you start taking it apart you'll actually see a beauty and an intricacy and a depth that literally spans eternity you can go hour okay let's stop there father let's stop there heaven let's stop there i mean i could preach for a year on those three words. I would have a very empty church probably, but I could because the depth of it is incredible. And as we come to God the Father who is in heaven and we pray this simple yet profound scripture on earth as it is in heaven, there's no more trying to fix ourselves. We submit to the authority of God who is on the throne and we say, replace the struggling hopelessness with a desire to seek after you because in that there is hope and joy and transformation. The revolution begins as we humble ourselves before him and as we see next week, we say, our Father. Our Father. That's where the revolution begins. So I want you to join us as we study this. But more than that, I want this prayer, my prayer is that this prayer, as simple and beautiful as it is, can become a profoundly revolutionary practice in your life. And my prayer is that we would humble ourselves before the words of Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. We would prioritize it. 
And at the end of our 21 days of prayer, even though the series goes past that, we're actually having a, a, a prayer meeting, Willow One Prayer, on the 29th, I believe, of January, on the last Monday of January. And, and, and I hope that, that the church can gather and we can pray. But as I said to Sarah, it's difficult to encourage people to come and pray and then enjoy it and be part of it unless their prayer life is intact on their knees or wherever it might be at home by yourselves. That revelation of prayer in your life will encourage you and you'll desire to pray corporately. But it starts humbly. It starts at this table. It starts with the recognition that Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach us how to pray because he was fully God and fully human and gave his life sacrificially, beautifully, passionately so that we could join him in this revolution and have our lives transformed and revolutionized. So here's what I'd like to do. Is you've all been given, I hope, or you all have access to, and maybe it's something you choose to do with your uh, spouse or... um, we have these cards, and, and these prayer cards are actually prayer focuses for 2018 that we as a church want to hear from you as to what your focus in prayer, maybe a very personal thing, whatever it might be, there's, there's, three, there's three lines at the back there. And I'm going to invite Josh in just a second to come up and start leading us in worship, and, and we're going to come to the Lord's table, the communion, and as you, we worship, you can come and take the bread and the juice and and you can remember the death of the Lord, and I'll read some scripture around that in just a second. But maybe you'll come with this, and you can place this, having filled out some prayer needs, and you can place it by the communion table. But I'm also aware that maybe this is something you just want to think about a little bit. Maybe this is something you want to take home, and you really want to consider, what do I want the prayer team and the leaders at Willow Park Church and Willow One Prayer to pray for? You can bring it next week, and maybe you can place it on the front table. And we'll collect them in. But as we close our eyes, and we're going to do that in just a second, we submit and humble ourselves before the Lord. I want us to remember his incredible sacrifice that makes this prayer possible. Because let me just give you a little taster for next week. Not everyone can call him Father. This prayer isn't for everybody. That might come as a bit of a surprise to you. In some way, and the scripture does talk about how everybody is a child of God, but to have that relationship, that intimacy with God that makes him your father, is only through Jesus. It's only through what this represents. It's only through seeking his face, submitting to his will, and asking him to change your life and asking for forgiveness. So this is a profound prayer. Our Father, 